This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. This is Rebecca from Connecticut. Instead of stacking Hamiltons and Jacksons, I'd much rather be stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and with Memorial Day weekend around the corner, we know that's a time many people spend on a picnic with friends, eating and drinking. We've heard lots about what foods will help you stay healthy to stack more Benjamins, but here's a question. What about the beverages you drink? Here to help us learn about the science behind our drinks, we welcome Alexis Willett. Plus, despite the hot housing market, homebuyer sentiment has sunk to a 10-year low amid tight supply. Is it possible to buy a house now for a decent price? We'll break this down and more during our headline segment. Later, we'll fling the Haven Lifeline to Aaron, who wants to know the best investment options for small business owners. Thinking about starting that side gig? We'll share the best savings options. And then, I'm going to stump you with my Dow Jones-related trivia. And now, speaking of beverages, here come two guys who think it's time to bust down this podcasting wall behind the Kool-Aid man. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Oh, yeah. Is that an old commercial? Do they still do that commercial? I thought I saw it within the last few years. Man, I hope so. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Old Commercials for the Win podcast. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a show we have for you today. First of all, and probably the best thing, is sitting across the table from me, ready to fight through the second half of the week. It's Mr. OG. And I have successfully kept my you-know-what together. So uh, so now we are on Congratulations. the- Congratulations. Uh, I think you can officially call this Memorial Day weekend, even though it's a Wednesday. 
I approve your time off. It, it sounds like you're starting to lose your stuff a little no, early. No, not like at all. Like it's slipping. Nope. nope. Even though you're going to let us start the weekend early, you're just like, screw it. I, I'm letting everyone start the weekend early. That is the power that has been vested in me. I'll tell you what's pretty exciting also today is that uh, on Memorial Day weekend, not only are we paying tribute to our military members in the United States who uh, died in the line of service, but also, oh, gee, a lot of people do picnics, which means there's also some beverages. And in the past, getting ready for the weekend, we've talked to people about barbecue. We've talked about hamburgers. We've talked to chefs and wacky food. Today, we're going to talk to Alexis Willett about beverages and what do they do to your body? What's the science behind what you drink? Is some drink more healthy than another drink? We've always heard, of course, that uh, a glass of wine before bed, well, maybe not right before bed, but a glass of wine a day, (laughs) a glass of wine first thing in the morning is a great way to start your day. In bed. Does that science still hold true? That and a lot more are from Mike Carruthers from the Something You Should Know podcast joins us to interview Alexis. But first, OG, we've got some headlines. But even before that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Not only is it Memorial Day weekend coming up, it's also Military Appreciation Month. And Navy Federal Credit Union has made it their mission to help their military members for over 85 years During Military Appreciation Month, they want to celebrate the commitment that connects them to their military members. This is always a great time to walk into Navy Federal because different branches with different celebrations. There's a bunch of nationwide and worldwide celebrations all over Navy Federal. Many of their employees are also military family members, reservists, or veterans themselves, so they know what you're going through. They offer resources like best cities after service and best careers after service to help veterans transition to civilian life. So for my nephew who's in the Navy, my other nephew is about to go into the Navy in a month. OG, my nephew, Nathan headed that way as well. My dad, who's a veteran, more people in our family, they have 24 seven customer service and support. So they're here for you whenever you need them. Visit NavyFederal.org forward slash celebrate to check out all of the member exclusive offers during Military Appreciation Month or share your own shout out with hashtag Mission Military Thanks. That's hashtag Mission Military Thanks. Navy Federal Credit Union, insured by NCUA. All right, let's get into our headlines. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. I don't know if you saw this last week, OG, but the uh, value of your Bitcoin is not what it was uh, a week ago. Well, and and we are recording this just a few (laughs) days before the actual show comes out. So actually, by the time you read this, it could be worth it. 
again or half it or a third of it or double. Who knows? What did our friend, uh, certified financial planner, Dana Ansbach say on Twitter uh, last Wednesday? Yeah, it's, 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 I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, you know, 30 years of market fluctuations in one week or something like that. <laughs> so, um, this particular piece I'm quoting comes from Forbes, but you saw all around you. If you know anything about crypto, Peter Cohen wrote this. Bitcoin price falls 40% as Coinbase stock drops 33%. Kathy Wood sees bottom. Bitcoin has plunged in the month since it peaked as of 6 p.m. May 19th. It lost 40% of its value since topping at 64,606 a coin, according to CBS News. Meanwhile, shares of cryptocurrency trading platform Coinbase have tumbled by a third since its direct listing on April 16th. Elon Musk's tweets are a big driver of Bitcoin price. When he tweeted Tesla would use it as a currency, Bitcoin rose. When he called cryptocurrency a hustle on SNL and later tweeted Tesla would no longer accept Bitcoin because it uses up too much energy, price went down. Caused the latest plunge was a May 19th statement posted on the Chinese Baking Association's website saying that financial institutions should, quote, resolutely refrain from providing services using digital currencies because of their volatility. Virtually every cryptocurrency fell after the industry group statement. By the way, China, as you may know, OG, coming up with their own crypto version of their actual currency, which would be a way for them to track money movement. Weird how when central banks come out with their own crypto, they don't want the other people's crypto anymore. It is strange. Well, we've definitely thought that uh, in these early days of crypto, gee, there is a lot to like. One thing we've always cautioned people on is that governments are going to get involved. It's the one argument that I never believed was that, hey, this is a way around government involvement. Think about any sort of thing. What if you and I, Joe, we scrapped this whole stacking Benjamins thing and we decided to come out with flying motorcycles? Cool. Well, guess what? Somebody's going to come up and go, wait a second. We need to talk about the rules of your flying motorcycles. You know, you can't fly above this. That's what they do with drones. Drones were like this cool thing for a while, right? It's like, oh, I got this little thing. It's like the FAA comes and goes, wait a second. You know, not above 400 feet, not in this area, not, you know, now you need a license and a permit to do it. If we find your drone and it's attached to your name and you don't have a permit. Not over your neighbor's pool. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Apparently can't shoot him down either. You know, everybody gets mad when you get the shotgun out in the city. But you know what I mean? So any sort of thing that comes up, there's obviously going to be regulation that comes on the other side of it. Government is not the first mover. Government is not the one that comes up with the ideas. They're the ones that come up with ways to restrict the ideas. So there may end up being some sort of uh, central type, centralized type way for all this to be pegged or managed, you know. But um, I still think, like we've talked about for years, that the brilliance in this is the technology. Absolutely. It's not the money part yeah. of it. This is a first move, really, on China's part toward a cashless society, which brings up some real issues for people that are unbanked, as an example. Also brings up the exact thing that crypto maniacs, I don't know, what do, what do crypto lovers call themselves? Cryptites? Uh, billionaires. Crypt- a bill- <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, now it's a 60% billionaire's. Yeah, hundred million. Yeah, what do you call yourself uh, uh, when you're sixty percent of the way to billion? You had a billion, now you have, now you're forty percent lower. But 
people that love crypto also talk about privacy with crypto. And now you've got a government coming out with crypto that's made specifically so they can track the money. Weird, huh? Yeah. And when they can track it, and one would think that they could also take it. Everything headed full circle. Kathy Wood is a name that a lot of our stacker family knows, but some don't. OG, what do you make of this idea that Kathy Wood says that, uh, that we're close to the bottom? I just saw a thing the other day. So Kathy Wood is the fund manager, is that a way to put it, of ARC Investments. And uh, last year had three of the top performing investment products in the world in her portfolio. And I just saw this thing the other day that showed that they were now near the bottom in terms of performance. I was just thinking about the cycle of investing and how, how if you're searching by best stuff that was last year, how disappointed you are right now versus like just having your money in a boring old diversified mutual fund portfolio and, oh, look, my small companies are doing well and my value companies are doing well. And oh, my technology companies aren't doing as good this year. So, but so what, you know, but if you just did that search list and went, oh my God, how did I not have any of ARC? And you get in, you're down 30%. Crazy. She's had a heck of a short-term track record though. She definitely is somebody who's been moving the needle with ARC and the way that she does it by publicizing her trades. I also find to be, to be interesting. Kathy Wood, by the way, she said she saw the drop as capitulation sees Bitcoin as being on sale. Also, Justin Sun, founder of cryptocurrency platform Tron, tweeted that he bought $152 million of Bitcoin for about $37,000 a coin, according to Bloomberg. Bargain. So, well, you know, comparatively it is. And as we get more data, definitely on sale from a week ago, if you're able to pick it up at that price. But I don't understand how you fairly value crypto. Well, and and this goes back to the, is it an investment or is it something completely different? I would submit that any investment that can go for any product, I should say, that goes from $55,000 value to $30,000 value in a 12-hour period is not an investment. You know, if you needed proof of why it's not, that's why. But But it also tells you a little bit about what your expectations should be. Yeah. Right. When you think about your regular, just think about like the the layers of variability in your portfolio based on different asset classes. If you have cash in your bank, right, there's no variability. So there's no wiggles on the on the ride. It's straight. And what do you get for that? Almost nothing. And you can move up that ladder. You can go to government bonds and you can go to big companies and small companies. And the, and the more that you allow for variability, the pluses and minuses, the more return you have the opportunity to achieve as well. So the same thing is true with Bitcoin or crypto. It's like, look at the variability. So if you think that, you know, you see this going from 30,000 a few months ago to 65,000 and you go, I missed out. Well, guess what? (laughs) There aren't stocks that do that either. There's nothing that does that, that doesn't have a commensurate downside to it as well. So so if you're going to use this as a tool, whether it's pure speculation or a store of value or whatever you want to call it, you have to understand that range of returns will be plus or minus half and double. It's like, that's what's going to happen. It's going to go up by 2x or it's going to get cut in half by 50 or 
Which makes another point that when you said for your dollar in a bank, what do you get? And you said almost nothing. You know what you get on the positive side, you get the security that the dollar is going to be worth a dollar when you spend it. That except for the usually slow moving effects of inflation, that this is going to be some bearer of a certain amount of value that I can calculate. How can I calculate on a daily basis what Bitcoin is worth? How do I know how much sandwich I can buy for my Bitcoin? I would be so afraid to spend any of my Bitcoin. Well, and that's the other thing that I read about this uh, big decline that happened was there was a lot of people who moved their wallets offline during this period of time, which indicates that they are thinking this is something I want to hold on to for a long while, even with it going down by half. So who knows? Our second headline comes to us from Yahoo Money. This is written by Amanda Fung. Uh, home buyer sentiment sinks to a 10-year low amid tight supply. Home buying sentiment hit a 10-year low in April as the housing market continues to heat up into the busy spring season, according to new data released last Friday. The Fannie Mae Home Purchase Sentiment Index fell 2.7 points to 79 last month from a month earlier. One part of the six-component index OG buying conditions turned negative for the first time in the survey's history. In April, the net share of consumers who said it's a good time to buy fell 14 percentage points from a month earlier. Three other components of the index also decreased month over month, while selling conditions and mortgage rate outlook increased. April's HPSI reading appears to have been acutely impacted by the ongoing lack of housing supply, despite improving economic conditions, said Doug Duncan, Senior Vice President and Chief Economist for Fannie Mae, in a press statement. People thinking now, market might be a little too hot to buy some real estate today, right now, OG. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I've gotten so many notes from stackers who are being, and we've had a couple of people even post in our Facebook group, The Basement, about how they're making offers well above asking price and they're bringing all cash and they're still losing. That can be so frustrating, huh? So frustrating. But it also makes me feel like some people are going to get caught here in a gambler mentality. Meaning, I love this house. I got to have it. It's only $10,000 more. Let's go for it. We'll figure out a way, right? Buy as much house as we can. We'll figure out how, how to make it work. That doesn't work. I think this is a good time to be patient, especially with this survey just out. Well, as somebody who bought their first house in 2004, uh, it was a new build from Pulte, big home builder in the United States, because God's not making any more land, so you need to buy some more right now who did the, I'm going to buy my second house first because I totally, as a newlywed, need a four-bedroom colonial. That's 3,000 square feet. Just two of you, yeah. For five years. And we'll grow into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. Uh, but what about the furniture? Who needs furniture in your dining room? Uh, That's where the pool table goes anyway. Duh. Well, if you remember ever coming to my house, you remember that there was like rooms that were completely empty for <laughs> the entire time we were there. So stupid. But anyways, we bought our house. And within a year, the housing market had started to have its issue. And our neighbor uh, sold his house for half of what we bought ours for. And it took 10 years to get back to even money. So if you have the ability to kind of drag your feet a little bit on this, I don't think that there's, there's no real evidence of a housing crash, you know, like the whole big short theory, you know, from 2006 and periods beyond that. 
But I think there's a period of time coming where there might be some flatlining in those prices. So, uh, patience, maybe just kind of hang out. If you patience, can. Barbara Corcoran, of course, of, uh, shark tank fame. Uh, and she's been in real estate for a long time says, uh, home buyers are panic depressed for good reason and are forced to spend a lot more on the house than they would. Her thoughts echoed earlier last week by Jeff Taylor faces digital risk co-founder, managing partner told Yahoo finance. We've seen bitty wars at every price point, every price point home price growth is surging at the fastest pace in 15 years, according to the latest S and P core logic case Schiller national home price index. Good time though. Still, I think OG, if you're thinking about selling a house, like if for some reason you're not worried about where you're moving, this is a great time to sell a house. Well, yeah. This is a fantastic time. And think about this in the Northern Hemisphere too, late spring, early summer, everything looks good. The trees look great around the house. The foliage in full bloom, things look fresh and nice. This is historically one of the best times of the year, especially the further north you go, best time of the year to sell a house. Definitely beats December when everything around your house looks dead. We sold our house in one day on January 14th Wow! in a snowstorm. <laughs> so there goes that. There goes that theory. But we had a, we, our house was in a great neighborhood. This was our place in Michigan. And, Centrally um, located. It was. And, some, and, and there were people who specifically wanted to live in that neighborhood. Close to the major freeways. So uh, when we listed ours, the first guy that walked in said, hey, we're here. They speak at the end of this piece about the difference between being a seller and being a buyer that it's a great time for a seller. And it, it, just, it just seems like a really dangerous time to be a buyer, OG. Yep. You got to be thinking really long-term if this is your entry price. Well, lots of takeaways. Bitcoin, cryptos, governments getting involved, real estate buying, selling, sentiment changing. What's the big one there, OG? I'd say the biggest piece for me is, as it relates to real estate, just like in all these asset classes, whether it's Kathy Wood's arc or crypto or or real estate, you know, you get the sensation of a oh, crap. If I don't have twenty rental properties by now, I'm really screwed. Uh, if I don't have my uh, all my friends got vacation houses, how come I don't? I, I should get my forever house now. You know that sort of stuff. It really starts creeping in. You got to be careful. So go slow. Yeah, I think just to echo that, whenever you're in a market where you've got this fear missing out on the perfect house or fear missing out on the Bitcoin boom, there's going to be hell to pay if you don't know why you're in there. Like, what's the end game? If you start with the end and work backwards, you're much less likely to make a mistake. Hey, trivia fans. I'm your host, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And this weekend, I'm setting up my famous neighborhood carnival, better known as World Texarkana Fair, or, you know, WTF for short. I figured if I'm going to make this the best, then I need to model my carnival after the best. So I'm looking to do a little recon on some of the best in the world theme parks like uh, you know Disney and Six Flags. Because, you know, doing the math, if I'm going to charge a hundred bucks a ticket to cover Joe's mom's lot rent price, I need a signature ride to help me bust out onto the big stage. 
So before I call to get my tickets and steal from the best, let's get to today's trivia. Did you know that when it comes to stocks, the big stage is something called the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and it was first published on this date way back in 1896. So today's question is, how many companies make up the Dow? I'll be back with your answer faster than the Superman roller coaster. Hey, Staggers, is Military Appreciation Month. You know what that means. We are recognizing all of our stackers in the audience. My good friend Nords, Doug Nordman, who uh, some of you may know, he is a writer in personal finance. He's a guy I'd like to do a shout out to. He is such a giving member of the FIRE community, the Financial Independence Retire Early community. Uh, Nords will do anything for you. It's just, I think some of that comes from his time on a submarine, like my nephew Colin, who's on a submarine right now, and all the work that uh, he did there. Just a super giving member of the community. And you know what? A Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond, not this month, but every month. Navy Federal offers members only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Here's one of their offers in honor of Military Appreciation Month. Join and get $50 when you open a credit card. Of course, you want to have your whole debt strategy planned out, don't you? Don't just go open a credit card willy-nilly, as mom says. Uh, here's a disclaimer. You got to join and open your membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. So get on it, stackers. Annual percentage yield is a 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open. Maintain your membership savings account to obtain the bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for full terms and conditions. That's just one of the things. They offer 24-7 help for their U.S.-based service members. They have resources all over the place. Head to NavyFederal.org for full terms, conditions, and other offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA Equal Housing Lender. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey, trivia fans. It's the owner of the world-famous WTF Carnival. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. One of the best parts about owning a business is the tax write-offs. Am I right? During the break, I called Six Flags, and I'm talking to Philip, and I asked for the business person's rate, and he, he doesn't understand that. Philip apparently doesn't deal with business owners much, which is why I think he quoted me some absurd price. So I tell Philip, let's just cut to the chase, man. I'm just going to write off this whole trip anyway, so let's just cut out the middleman and just don't bill me. That way, I don't have to erase on my end a fee that he's going to charge. Again, proving that Philip must not interact with many high-profile, sophisticated businessmen like me. I got to say that he was not getting what I was putting down. He just kept insisting that I give him my credit card to get in the park. 
Go, Philip. You still have much to learn in the matters of business. Right now, I'm on hold waiting to talk to Philip's manager. So before they come back, let's get back to today's trivia. The question was, how many companies are in the Dow? Well, meant as a way to measure the strengths and weaknesses of the U.S. stock market, the 12 original stocks of the DJIA reflected the booming industries of the late 19th century. In fact, General Electric is the only stock of the original 12 left on the index, which is now comprised of 30 stocks. You have my word, people, that my fair, WTF, will be one of the 30. Oh, wait. Ugh. I think the manager's picking up the phone. See ya! Well, from uh, Downing Street receptions to parliamentary events, TV interviews, she's done multi-million pound fundraising galas. If anybody has uh, studied habits and studied wealth and studying how we live, I believe that would adequately describe Alexis Willett. It's an important time for us, we thought, to talk about beverages because what you drink affects your day, what you eat affects your day. I know that if I have had an evening where I've gone out for a few OG on a Wednesday, right, after work with people, Thursday, I'm not as good as I could be. I'm not at the top of my game. And then you think about the dominoes that follow behind that. And on the other side, coffee, right? So caffeine all morning long, depressants in the evening. What does all this do to us? And not even those big so what's, but I think there can be even smaller so what's. More water, less water. Well, our friend Mike Carruthers talked to Alexis Willett on his fantastic something you should know podcast we loved it so much we asked if we could replay it here so this is our friend mike carruthers interviewing alexis willard it's probably safe to say that we are a diet obsessed culture we spend a lot of time worrying about what we should eat what we shouldn't eat the health consequences if we don't eat right Interestingly, though, we don't talk so much or worry so much about what we drink. Or people lump beverages into the topic of diet. But really, what you drink is a completely different subject and an important one, and one that has been researched by Alexis Willett. She's a science communicator who has a Ph.D. in biomedical science from the University of Cambridge, and she's author of the book Drinkology. The Science of What We Drink and What It Does to Us, From Milks to Martinis. Hi, Alexis. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So it is interesting that when we talk about food and what we consume, we often leave out beverages, what we drink. But when you think about it, I mean, beverages affect our mental health, as in the case of alcohol, our physical health in the case of you know, soda with all the sugar it has. I mean, this really is an important topic. Well, I think you've really hit the nail on the head just straight away there. I was really thinking about how, I think it was in a conversation with friends and people were talking about sugars and fats and just different aspects of their diet. And it really occurred to me that 
actually, what do we really know about what we're drinking? And we often hear a lot of marketing hype and, and claims about a lot of things we drink. And some of these things sort of ingrained in us that, you know, we believe about certain types of drinks and maybe whether they're good or not for our health. And I thought, actually, maybe it was some time, it, it was it was really time for somebody to look into that and have a look at the hard science and see what that really shows us. One of the things that I've always heard is that, you know, you're supposed to drink plenty of water every day, that your body needs to be hydrated, and that your body will pull the water, use the water from whatever drink you have that has water in it, like coffee or tea or soda, or is, is that true? That is true. I think sometimes we think of there's only certain drinks we should drink to get that water and water itself being the best, which of course it is the best. But actually, the majority of drinks, your body will take the water it needs to hydrate. And what you're looking for is what we call a net gain. So an overall gain of water from those drinks. And there's only a few that would actually reduce that. So probably alcoholic drinks is going to be the most obvious because actually they make you need to pee out um, water more often. So actually you would lose water in those cases. But even a, low, a kind of quite a low alcohol beer would probably result in a net gain of water. So whilst that's not ideal for hydration, you know, overall, you know, you're probably getting most of the water you need from the drinks you have every day. Is there anything better than water for hydration? Yeah, that's something I was really thinking about, you know, what could be better than water? And actually looking at all these drinks and wellness drinks and all the all the claims we hear about different types of drinks, I, it still comes down to water being the best. And ultimately, that's what our body needs. But of course, there are some beneficial compounds in some other types of drinks that might be doing some additional benefit. But for hydration, I think you can't really beat water. Soda has been pretty much demonized as as being unhealthy, especially, you know, full sugar soda. What do you say? I would probably have to agree with that because what you're really getting is um, a lot of sugar. And then you may have other ingredients in those drinks, which are, they're not ideal, to say the least. So maybe some artificial colors or other kind of um, additives that maybe we don't want in our bodies. I mean, I think you have to sort of take it in context. If you're just having some of these drinks, not, you know, not every single day and not many times a day, they're probably okay. But what we do know is um, sodas, uh, particularly full sugar versions, are actually one of the greatest sources of added sugar in the diet. And so they're producing a whole lot of kind of empty calories and an awful lot of sugar that we just don't need. And given the problems with type 2 diabetes on the rise, obesity, these, these really are seen as significant problems. And to which people will sometimes say, when they hear that argument, well, I drink diet soda. So the interesting thing about diet sodas and other, many other, many other soft drinks is, of course, they've replaced the sugar with sweeteners. And there are many different types of sweeteners. You may be displacing some problems that you have with sugar over to sweeteners, one for another. Now, the, the research is kind of, we're not there yet to know definitively one way or another whether they're doing harm. But there has been some research to show that some sweeteners may be causing some imbalances or problems with our gut bacteria. And we now know that our gut bacteria, of which we have billions naturally, um, they can be very sensitive and upset by many different factors. And it's very important that you maintain a good level of gut bacteria for your immune system, 
kind of defence against disease. So we don't really want to be upsetting that too much. And, and there is a little bit of evidence to show that some sweeteners may be interfering in that process. So I think ideally we don't want to be taking in too many sweeteners. The other problem with sweeteners is they're many, many times sweeter than sugar itself. And if people have these a lot, it may be changing their taste preferences to much sweeter, very intensely sweet foods. And this could be a problem, particularly in children, where then they don't really like natural sweeteners, say from fruit, and they prefer much artificially sweetened products. So one thing I hear a lot about is fruit juice. When I was a kid, fruit juice was considered a, a healthy drink. You drink your orange juice. You've got to have that for your breakfast. It's good. And now we hear that fruit juice is as bad as soda, that the sugar content is very high, that it's no good for kids or anybody. And the science says what? Um, well, I think you've kind of summarized it quite nicely. Um, we did used to think of it perhaps as our one portion of our fruit and vegetables a day. But I think we're moving away from that because um, fruit juice does contain a lot of sugar. And the way it gets into our bodies, it, it creates sort of a quite a rapid increase in our sugar levels, which isn't ideal for your body to then process and handle. So what you want really to be eating is whole fruit because it's the whole fruit, the juice in fruit is also bound up with fibre. And that's actually a much slower absorption. And you don't get these kind of rapid peaks in um, blood sugar levels. So it's much more important to eat whole fruit than be having fruit juice. And certainly there are moves in public health and, and schools, for example, where they're trying to discourage um, fruit juice as being um, regularly consumed. And if it is consumed, it should be really just very small portions watered down with some well, water. For several years now, there's been a lot of hype about, you know, you've got to drink more water, you need to drink more water. If I think I've had enough water to drink, if I'm not feeling like I'm dehydrated or thirsty, have I had enough water? The amount of water we need really depends on individual variations, whether you're in a hot country, whether you're doing a lot of exercise. But on average, um, we probably have around, you know, probably need around two to three liters of water a day. So to, to replace losses. And in your average person who's generally well, adult, you have the feedback mechanism of thirst. And that's usually a pretty good indicator of whether you need to be drinking more. But those mechanisms don't work quite so well in young children or older people or people who've, with acute illness or chronic illness. And actually, some of those need to be reminded or encouraged to drink more because their bodies may not be telling them so naturally that they need to, to drink. What is the myth about drinking and the, the things that we drink that you find most interesting that we haven't talked about yet that, that you will want to debunk? Well, I think a very common one is probably around alcohol. So I think a lot of people feel that um, drinking a small amount of alcohol every day is good for our health and it's good for the heart, for example. And a lot of people say this. Um, but I think we're really moving away from that now, or I say we, but the science, science is moving away from that now. Lars review done a couple of years ago actually looked at nearly 700 sources of data over this and concluded that there was no safe level of alcohol. Now, that sounds quite 
dramatic and drastic, but we have to recommend, you know, remember that we take risks every day in our life. So you're, it's just about balancing those risks. But what it did found really, there's there's very little evidence to show that a, a small amount of in- alcohol regularly is doing us significant benefit. And the only benefits that have really been shown in the evidence after over large reviews, over many, many studies, have been in women over about the age of 55. And even then, it was uh, sort of one or two glasses a week of wine, not every day. So I really think that's a myth we need to get out there, that it it isn't healthy to be drinking alcohol every day. Um, And there's only really limited benefits from doing that. But there's a difference between what you just said that there are there are no health benefits to any level of alcohol, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for you. It may not be good for you, but is it actually bad for you? Well, just to clarify, I think um, what the review said was there was no safe limit. So it's not that there's definitely no benefits. There may be small benefits here and there. But when you have the ethanol or the alcohol on top of that, on top of whatever other ingredients, the the harms may outweigh the risks. So we know, obviously, that people who misuse alcohol or you take a lot of alcohol, um, there are significant harms from that, um, increased risk of many diseases and a lot of problems. But I was interested in the evidence around um, moderate alcohol drinking, and that that is associated with um, some harms. So it may be around um, cognitive effects, so effects in the brain, maybe around memory, um, and they may only be small small effects, but they may accumulate over time. And we know there's there's increased risks of certain types of cancers have been shown even with moderate drinking, such as breast cancer. Now that's not to say that everyone who drinks will necessarily be putting themselves at harm, but it is just showing that data shows at the population level that there are these risks even from just moderate drinking. So certainly one of the most popular drinks around is coffee, and that's often uh, held up as one of the the things that science seems to flip-flop on, that it one day it's good for you, one day it's bad for you. So what about today? <laughs> what about today? <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, hardly a day goes by where there isn't another news story about the effects of of coffee. So it's a great one for scientists to look at. And many of its health or claims around its health benefits, the association is really quite weak and we don't have very strong data. But actually, there are plenty of compounds in coffee that may prove to be um, beneficial. And there's sort of evidence heading that way, but we just need to add to that data. One area that where the evidence is really quite strong and really gaining momentum is around um, the coffee reducing the risk of developing type 2 diabetes, which I think is really interesting. And we don't understand the mechanism around that or why that's conferring that benefit. But that really is coming out quite strongly. So I think that's a very interesting one. I think obviously too much caffeine itself um, isn't great. So it's very clear that pregnant women need to limit their caffeine intake because there are potential harms. And actually, for for the rest of us, most of what people are drinking each day is actually within limits that are, are fine. And it may be giving people increased alertness throughout the day. I think, um, although I'm slightly going off onto tea, there was a really interesting study I came across of somebody who 
clearly was very keen on the benefits of tea. And this was black tea. And it was a lady who's she was only about 47. And she presented to doctors where essentially her teeth had, were so brittle, they all had to be removed. Her bones were very, very brittle and had a lot of problems there. And she had something called skeletal fluorosis. And this is caused by an excess of fluoride in her tea, because there's actually tea, um, fluoride in tea itself, not just the water that you may be having it with. And it turned out that she was drinking a jug of tea every day that contained some over 100 tea bags in. And she'd been doing that for 17 years. So it was she just had this huge excess of fluoride in her diet. So it just goes to show that you shouldn't go overboard on any of these types of drinks. Well, that brings up a, the tea thing brings up an interesting point because there are drinks like green tea or I've heard people talk about a water with lemon that they have these, some sort of magical properties. And do they? So green tea has been found to have, um, well, it's got thousands of different compounds in many with potential to help our health. These things called catechins, a type of compound, and it's particularly rich in green tea. And I think a lot of the science is heading towards showing that these could be really beneficial and certainly green tea um, without any added sugar or milk or anything like that. And most people do have it just sort of as it is. Um, it look, is looking quite beneficial. In terms of lemon and water, I would have to say not really. <laughs> so really, you're just taking in water and a few drops of lemon or maybe a slice of lemon in there. And that is really just giving you a bit of lemon juice. And there really has not been any hard evidence to show it's a miracle for anything. Isn't that interesting, though, how something like that catches on? Because I know a lot of people who swear that, that it's magical. And, and as you say, there, it doesn't make sense that it would be magical because it's just lemon and water. But, but somehow it kind of caught on. Well, I think that it's true. I think with um, many, many drinks, there's such incredible marketing or hype around them. And it only takes um, some well-known people to, to, to come up with some sort of gobbledygook around the science to promote something. And they may look amazing themselves and people want to emulate that, that people believe it. And then, they, and then it gets repeated and repeated maybe on social media and through other channels. And then everyone just, just believes that's true. And that goes across an awful lot of drinks. So people swearing by, you know, a glass of wine a day or three cups of green tea or whether other types of wellness drinks, for example. But this is really what I was really interested in looking at was, is there data to prove some of these claims? Well, I want to go back just to touch on, because you, you said that, and I've heard this before, that there are things in green tea that have potential health benefits but like what? Like it'll help you live longer? It'll do what Do what for you? Well, I think we often hear about um, the term being antioxidant, so an antioxidant properties of some of these compounds. And what that means is sort of reducing the risk of damage to your cells or helping to repair cells. So if you can have anti-inflammatory properties in some of these compounds, 
then you're helping reduce the risk of inflammation in in the body, which also is associated with lots of health conditions. It's difficult to prove these things because many of the studies into a lot of the drinks we're talking about are called observational studies. So maybe you sort of compare two groups of people, one who takes a drink regularly and one who doesn't, and then you compare whether they've got any differences amongst them. And that's very interesting, but you can't prove cause and effect. So you can't prove that the people who are taking a drink are different in some way because of the drink they've taken, because usually there's so many other factors to take into account. What else have you found in the research about drinks that people might not be familiar with? One was around actually bacterial growth within water. And it, you know, hadn't really occurred to me. I think many of us have reusable water bottles these days. And actually, you think of water as being quite clean, and you'll fill it up and then you use it. And then maybe next time you want to use it, you just give it a quick rinse and you're good to go. But actually, what we I did find that there's quite a lot of um, research to show that these things called biofilms, so this kind of slimy layer of microorganisms can build up in these water bottles from you swigging all the time. It's introducing bacteria and you get this layer. So actually, I would challenge um, some listeners to go and look at some of their water bottles that maybe they just quickly rinse out and stick your finger in and see if you can feel if it feels a bit slimy that might be um, some microorganisms that are building up a layer in there and it was a good reminder that every time you use your water bottle to give it a good scrub out with um, a good scrub and with some soap. Is there any reason to believe that that bacteria is harmful or it's just gross? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a good question. I think we don't know. I think um, it is a bit gross. But, it, you know, could it be resulting in people feeling not quite right that day and they don't really know why? I don't think anyone studied that in particular. I think that's a really good question. That's Again, it's a, it's a knowledge gap and certainly one that would be great to know more about. I think another area that was very interesting was looking at um, studies around ice so we have ice in our drinks a lot of the time, particularly in the US where you have a lot of ice in, in cool drinks and how there's such a potential for microorganisms to be in that. And that has been linked with outbreaks of salmonella and E. coli in, in places where it's been used en masse. And that was another good reminder of how, again, we think very carefully about hand hygiene and safety when we've preparing food, but maybe in bars and, and hotels and places where they're serving drinks a lot, maybe they don't think quite so much about um, hand hygiene when they're serving drinks. What about milk? We drink milk. We start drinking milk when we're very young. And, 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 and lately I've heard, you know, people say, well, you know, cow's milk isn't good for you. Or, so what, what does the science say about milk? In terms of whether or not it's good for you, there's been a lot of studies and then a lot of reviews of all the studies put together. And overall, it seems to be that milk does have some benefits, especially in terms of growth, in terms of calcium content, which helps bones and, you know, good for children's growth. Um, and there are some other elements that it may be useful in terms of heart health, for example. There have been many claims about areas where it may not be so good, but I think the weight of evidence shows that there seems to be some benefits of having it. But of course, it's not for everyone. And there are now people, more people are turning to plant milks for whatever reason. Any concern there? Um, I don't think really there's concerns about plant milks, but 
in my mind, I like to think of it as quite, or, or those milks as quite a different product from milk. I think it's tempting to think of them as sort of some way you could compare them, but actually they're completely different things. So nutritionally, you get very different benefits from them. And if you look across plant milks, there are so many different options that give you different benefits. So if you're taking something that's based on oats, so oat milk, you're going to get different benefits than a plant milk that's based on nuts or one that's based on soya, for example. Well, as I listen to you talk, what's interesting is that when we talk about diet, there's no one right food that if you just eat this food, everything will be fine. With drinks, though, if you just drink water, then you don't really have too much else to worry about. Life might be a bit boring, but but water is about as good as it gets when it comes to a drink. And understanding how all these other drinks affect us, I think, is really important. Alexis Willett's been my guest. She's a science communicator and author of the book, Drinkology, the science of what we drink and what it does to us, from milks to martinis. And you will find a link to that book at Amazon in the show notes if you'd like to buy it. Thanks, Alexis. No, thank you. It was very interesting. Thanks to both Alexis and to Mike for that interview. How about that? OG ice. We think about washing our hands. Maybe you got to wash your ice before you put on your drink. And back to Doug and his uh, trivia. Maybe he doesn't know what write-offs mean. Sounds a little bit like the carnival is going to be fun this weekend. But when it comes to the trivia, well, that was a gimme. Glad I got it right. I was waiting for you to be like, wrong. Eh, 31. Uh, Not a gimme for a lot of people. That that few companies, isn't it surprising we have indexes like the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, only 30? Mm-hmm. Do you think following the Dow Jones Industrial Average for the average person is a mistake, or is that something we should be paying attention to? Follow it in terms of tracking, like just being cognizant of what the Dow is doing, or do you mean follow it like invest just like uh, it? Uh, either one of those is fine, but comparing your performance to the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Uh, I mean, it's no different than comparing yourself to the NASDAQ or to the S&P or whatever. It gives you a sense of what's going on, right? If if the Dow is up, the S&P is up, the NASDAQ's up, it, you know, and everybody's up 10% and your portfolio is down 20, there's probably something wrong. But I feel like as an example, with, with 500 companies for the average person that wants to be diversified, not get their butt kicked, the S&P 500 is a better, is a better measurement. Yeah, I mean, they're different altogether. So it's different ways to calculate it. It's different ways, obviously, 30 companies against 505. So it's just, it gives you a general sense. It just tells you where East is. That's all it's going to tell you. It doesn't tell you what the C's look like ahead. I remember that uh, one advisor that whose office I worked in at the time, he was the number one advisor in the company. Uh, he would take a look at the amount of risk versus the amount of reward that a client needed. And then he would calculate an index that was based specifically on that. So everybody kind of had their own hybrid index that he was tracking for them. Yeah, I think that's another way to look at it. Like you can take the S&P and maybe like the Lehman Bond aggregate or something like that and say, well, if my money is invested 70-30, then I should count 70% of the S&P and 30% of the bond market, average those two numbers out. Again, that gives me a little bit more realistic perspective on how things may look as it relates to me. But even within the S&P, 
you know, you're going to have international holdings, you're going to have big companies and small companies. So they don't all move lockstep with one another. Not a bad thing to track it. Not a bad thing to know what's going on. I don't think that I would use it as a comparison tool. Well, what I liked about the hybrid was that it knocked people off of, I think, the false comparison of who cares what the S&P 500 did. That's not your goal. That is not not what you're trying to do. This is not a race to beat the S&P. It's a race to have money available when you need it, more than the amount that you need to reach the goal. Because I generally, I think people would have a false dichotomy often. They want the returns of the S&P 500 and the risk of government bonds. Yeah. I would prefer that. I want the returns of Ethereum and, and the volatility of a CD. And uh, who who breaks Doug's heart about uh, a write-off does not mean it's free? Is that you or me? Uh, go ahead. No, uh, I insist. After you. Age before beauty. Uh, also, big thanks to Mike Carruthers for a great interview with Alexis Willett. Surprising to you that uh, water for the win? Nope. I don't like this idea of uh, the one glass of wine a day is no longer a good thing. Let's get rid of that. It's two glasses anyway. It, it, it should probably be four. Type of day I had yesterday. Hey, but you kept your you-know-what together, and now it's officially the weekend, according to OG. <laughs> yeah, I like how you just move up the goalpost. Uh, you made it to the 30-yard line. Touchdown. Might as well call that a score. <laughs> might, might, might as well. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value first. All the water that I'm going to drink for Memorial Day weekend. Bam. It's your loved ones in your time, all with a tall glass of cold water. Because of that, Haven Life has made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. The application is online. You'll get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. If you've ever bought life insurance before, you know that there's 47 pages, two of which are necessary. Answer only the necessary questions. Get an instant decision instead of the three days, five days, two weeks later decision. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And that's a great thing to do this holiday weekend. Get your, get your life insurance in place. Get that done. A couple of weeks ago, we were part of the Dell Small Business Podference, and we had several questions about small business and a lot of people interested in starting side hustles. Let's say hi to our friend, Aaron, who's got a question for us. Hey, Aaron. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Aaron in Seattle. I'm calling on behalf of my friend and hairstylist who is a small business owner and a sole employee, and she's trying to figure out how she should invest for retirement. Every time she looks at IRAs and sees the $6,000 limit, she thinks that it's not worth it. She knows she needs to do this, but has no idea what her options are. And the truth is, I didn't know what to tell her either. So wondering if there's a solo 401k, if there's a SEP IRA, what what options are there out there for uh, small business owners uh, to invest in their own retirement? Thanks a lot. Great question, Aaron. Great to hear your voice. And uh, we will be headed to Seattle next year as part of the Stacked World Tour book tour. So can't wait to go hang out with our friends in Seattle and around the nation again. But let's uh, let's dive into that, OG. People have a few different options. There's, of course, the IRA, $6,000, which goes up uh, to $7,000 for older people. 
And then you also have a defined benefit plan option, which means that you set up a pension for yourself. Very complicated. Doesn't make a lot of sense for the average small business owner, which really, to my mind, then brings up three, the solo 401k, uh, simple IRA and the SEP IRA, right? And so between those three, how do we decide which one's right? Well, I think there's no right or wrong one. Just like we say, there's no right or wrong time to invest. You <laughs> just like do it. That's that's the important thing. But there are some different characteristics. A SEP IRA, for example, you're going to be limited to about 25% of your income. So if your business makes $100,000, the most you can put away is 25000 which is a whole crap load of money, by the way. But if you had the opportunity to put away more than that, you'd be limited. Um, a simple IRA is going to be limited to $12,000, 12500 actually. And then there's some employer contributions. And if you have uh, employees, then that kind of complicates it a little bit. And the solo 401k gives you the most flexibility, gives you the most um, deferral amounts, but uh, a little bit more complicated. There's a few more forms to fill out and that sort of thing annually. Not very many, just like one or two, but also blows up in your face if you ever have employees. So it just kind of depends on the trajectory of your business or what you think is going to happen. You can switch between them uh, year after year, but, um, but you really don't want to be thinking about that on a, on a annual basis. So if it's just going to be you and you want to put the most money away and you're not going to have any employees, probably a solo 401k is your best option. Next best I would argue would be a SEP. Simples have their place, but not as easy to, to keep track of because you got employer contributions you have to deal with and that sort of thing. So you can do one of those two, you can still do a Roth on top of it. So that's still an option. And it's really easy to calculate at the end of the year. You just have your CPA say, you go, how, how much can I put in these things? And uh, either your CPA can do it, or if you do your own taxes on TurboTax, you just check a box and, and, the, and the software will calculate the maximum contribution. And then you can put it in. The problem that most people have is that we do that maximum contribution box and it says $28,400. You go, <laughs> I was thinking like 1800 <laughs> You know, so if you really want to do the most contribution, then you've, you know, you've got to be doing it throughout the year. And, and if nothing else, setting it aside so that you can put it in, you know, once you get your taxes done. So SEP IRA, solo 401k is great. Even just doing a Roth for 6,000 bucks a year may not seem like a lot, but it sure, sure adds up over time. So that's what I was thinking when, when Aaron said that her friend thinks that the IRA isn't worth it. Of, of course it is. I, I, I mean, something is better than nothing. And this is where sometimes I feel like people get too in the weeds over doing the right thing versus doing something. And as mom always says, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Yep. So great question though, Aaron, uh, small business owners and teachers, I think have, have it uh, pretty rough where I love going to work for, for a company. They have a 401k plan. All I got to choose is what I put inside it. If I'm a teacher, I've got these 5,000 different 403Bs to choose from in some school districts. If I'm a self-employed, I've got this mess of six different ways that I can go. Uh, feel bad for those people. Another layer of complexity. Thanks for the question, Aaron. If you've got a question for us, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And like Aaron, Gertrude can send you a code to uh, take home some swag. So Aaron... Aaron's going to be sporting the greatest money show on earth, Haven Life uh, Circus t-shirt, which now, by the way, is in Kelly Green. Nice. All right. That's going to do it for today. 
A lot of people to thank. I think we're going to let Doug handle all that. Last but not least, if you want to make better financial decisions in the future, OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG to see how their team can interface with your team to get a better financial plan. All right, that's going to do it. Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headline. Despite increasing home prices, job prospects, and the absurd prices are causing consumer confidence to fall to a decade low level. Second, take a lesson from Mike Carruthers and Alexis Willett. It turns out that if you want to perform, you aren't just what you eat, but also what you drink. But the big lesson? Joe's mom just told me that a tax write-off doesn't mean it's free. How's a guy supposed to make a buck? Well, at least I can still pay the workers in candy bars and Joe's mom's chocolate chip cookies. What? I can't do that either? How is a guy supposed to make a buck around here? To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To learn more things you should know, check out Mike Carruthers and the Something You Should Know podcast. You'll find it wherever you're listening to us right now. This show is created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. I'm going to send you this uh, chicken recipe, Joe, because I know you like chicken. You're a chicken. It isn't that I like chicken. It's that chicken is very my diet friendly. Oh, you're going to like chicken after this. <laughs> I found this guy on YouTube a little while ago. His name is Sam the Cooking Guy. Everybody, everybody listening is like, yeah, duh. Duh. It's like a million views. Anyways, um, he always makes some pretty good stuff. But he had this uh, kind of Greek chicken in homemade non bread. With like a little yogurt sauce and oh, dude, it's oh, so good. Oh Lord. So good. I'm in. I'm already in. So if you don't want to do the the bread, which is not hard to make either, but if you don't want to make your own bread, you can just have the grilled chicken.
the marinade for the, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it was really good. He was also the guy, oh, you haven't had any of our pasta sauce. He's also the guy that told us how to make pasta sauce the right way. We have uh, pasta sauce from our trip to Italy. We stopped it's at this. anymore. <laughs> That's true. Probably should throw that one out. <laughs> if it's been open for over a week, you might throw it out. Part of the weight loss plan, my friend. <laughs> they're like, they're like, you can buy this sauce in America. It's called Barilla. Right. We call it Prego. Franco Americano. That's who makes our sauce. Which for the longest time, as an aside, I'm like, Prego. Oh, that's a very nice Italian word. No idea what Prego meant. Do you know what Prego means? I do know this. It's uh, it's it's stupid. It's, it means nothing. It's, no, it's so conceited. It means you're welcome. Oh, yeah, there you I, go. I got this. I got this crappy sauce in a jar. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. What, what, what should we call it? Let's call it. You're welcome. Yeah. So watch Sam, the cooking guy and get his marinara sauce, his pasta sauce. It's a quarter cup of oil. It's San Marzano tomatoes and cheese. And not in the sauce. Come on now. Oh no. Five cloves of garlic. Five. It sounds like a lot. It's not red pepper flakes. <laughs> little salt and pepper. It's out of this world. You will never eat pasta sauce again. Of course it's out of this world because you've got five cloves of garlic. Yeah, it's good. That's why. Even Doug made it. And he was like, all right, that's pretty good. Because it's like two major things, right? Oil and tomatoes. And then the rest to taste, basically. Just a skosh healthier than the stuff out of the jar? I don't know. But I'm going to get you this chicken recipe. Sam the cooking guy. Let's go eat. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender